And Caleb said, Whoever attacks Kiriath Sefer and takes it, to him I will give my daughter Achsa as wife. Othniel, son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, took it, and he gave him his daughter Achsa as wife. When she came to him, she urged him to ask her father for a field. As she dismounted from her donkey, Caleb said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, Give me a present. Since you have set me in the land of the Negeb, give me springs of water as well. So Caleb gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. I've got to admit that I'm a bit intrigued about this woman, Achsa, whose story is told both at the end of the book of Joshua and at the beginning of the book of Judges in almost the very same words. She is, first of all, a prize of war offered by her father and then given to her uncle. Sure, it was probably a pretty normal situation at the time, but it is still rather stunning that she doesn't seem to have been consulted in the matter at all. But then we discover that she is a strong woman who knows what she wants. When she is not granted a sufficient possession among the tribes of Israel, she goes to her father and demands more for herself and her husband slash uncle. Now, there is a woman that I suspect we could all learn something from. So, here is Achsa's story. And this is Retelling the Bible. Episode 5.23 Achsathniel Israel's first power couple Caleb, for a long time, had been one of the most revered elders among the people of the tribe of Judah. Caleb was a man of war and of vision. For generations, his people, the people of Judah, had been confined to the hills north of the territory of the Jebusites. But Caleb dreamed of prosperity for his people and the possession of better lands in the plains. And so he came up with a bold strategy. He went to meet with the elders of the tribe of Simeon. Now, the Judahites had much in common with the Simeonites. They spoke a very similar language and had many of the same cultural practices. But even more important than that, they shared together in the worship of a god named Yahweh. Their shared worship of Yahweh was important because Yahweh was known to be a keeper of covenants. He would bless those peoples that entered into covenants, and he would curse those who failed to keep the covenant promises that they made. And so, 
because the men of Judah and of Simeon knew that they could trust each other to keep their covenant. They had a very strong bond. And they set out to fight against the enemies that surrounded them. They saw much success and were able to expand into the plains of the Negev. But Caleb had set his heart on one particular prize in that region, the city of Kiriath-Sefer. The city was well situated, and so it would be very hard to take. And, if Caleb was going to be honest, he was getting old. He felt that he had led his people to many victories, but it was time to pass the torch of leadership to somebody else. He decided to make the taking of this city his test. And so he gathered the men of his tribe and their allies in the tribe of Simeon, and he made an announcement. Men, he said, we have done well, and Yahweh has led us from victory to victory. But there is one more city that we must take in order to consolidate all of our gains. But it's going to be a difficult one. We must take the city of Kiriath-Sefer. As Caleb drew his breath, he could hear the murmurs running through the crowd. They all knew what a great challenge this would be. I know that taking such a city will only come at great cost. Caleb continued, and so I have resolved that it should also come with a great reward. Whoever shall lead our fighters in victory over Kiriath-Sefer shall be given the hand of my daughter, Achsa, in marriage. That did change the tone of the murmurs that spread through the men. Many men had been vying for the hand of Achsa, not only because of her much vaunted beauty, but also because any family would benefit from an association with Caleb's powerful family. But still Caleb could hear a note of caution in the crowd. No one would be able to take such a city easily. He knew that anyone would have to think carefully before taking up such a challenge. And so he dismissed the assembly, telling the men that he would look for their answers on the morrow. But there was one of the reactions to his challenge that Caleb had not reckoned with. For over on the edge of the crowd stood one solitary figure, one woman, who had a bit of a different perspective on the challenge that Caleb was issuing. For, of course, Caleb hadn't asked what she thought about it before he made the challenge. He was her father. He didn't need to. But Achsa 
had some very definite feelings about what needed to happen next. She knew she couldn't persuade her father to change his mind, not after he had made such a public pronouncement. But that didn't mean that she had to be passive about all of this and just let everything happen. That was just not who Achsa was. So, she set about working to make what she desired as an outcome to happen. Othniel was her uncle, her father's brother. Their father had many wives and had continued to have children well into his old age. So Othniel was actually a half-brother, the son of another mother, and he was quite a bit younger. In fact, he was only a few years older than Achsa herself. The two had always been very close, more like brother and sister than an uncle and niece. And of all the men of her father's tribe, Achsa could think of no one else she would want as a husband and a partner. So, she did not wait. As soon as the assembly dissolved, she made her way to her uncle's tent. Othniel was lost in thought when she arrived. He was indeed very interested in the challenge that his older brother had issued. He did want it to be him who did the great deed and took the city. But he hesitated. Not out of fear of the enormity of the challenge, but because though he knew very well how he thought and felt about his niece, he did not want to presume anything about her thoughts or her feelings. So, that night, Achsa made it quite clear to Othniel what her feelings were. And, no, I'm not going to describe all the ways that she did so. <laughs> we may have to save that for some future episode of Retelling the Bible After Dark. But let's just say that she was very convincing. The next morning, Othniel was the first man standing outside of Caleb's tent. He was not about to leave until he had been given the go-ahead to lead an attack on Kiriath Sefer. Othniel did take the city. He didn't do it single-handedly, of course. He hand-picked the very best warriors from among the Judahites and the Simeonites, and everyone that he chose considered it an honor to go with him. But everyone wondered 
about the warrior who fought at his side throughout the whole day. Tall and graceful, clad in glittering bronze and wielding a bloody axe, this warrior was without equal and struck terror into the hearts of the enemy with loud shrieks and a flowing mane of hair. None of the other fighters recognized this warrior, but they quickly learned to get out of the way whenever that axe swung. Not even her father knew that she was there. Only Othniel was aware that his beloved fought by his side. He would always believe that it was her presence that gave him the courage he needed to prevail that day. And so it was that Othniel became the lord of the city of Kiriath Sefer, and Achsa was his lady. They exiled the ruling class, of course, but most of the people who lived there, the people of the land, who worked the fields and kept the flocks, they did not displace. These people were just like them in many ways, and they knew better than anyone else how to coax God's fruitfulness from the land. But, as Achsa went out among her new subjects, she quickly learned that all was not well among them. They were struggling, and the reason why was not hard to discover. The Negev was a particularly dry and arid region, quite different from the hill country that Achsa's people were used to. And so, without access to wells or springs, very little would grow, and the goats were thin and produced sickly kids. The people of Kiryat Sefer were quite used to such a state of affairs, however, for this was how they had always lived. Their masters had always required them to pay their rents and duties, and they had always just barely survived on what they had left. Achsa resolved that she and her husband would offer a different kind of leadership to these people. So she went to her husband and told him what he must do. He must go to his brother and ask, no, no demand that Caleb grant to the people of Kiriath Sefer some additional lands, lands that had a key resource. But Othniel would not go. He declared that he had already received from his brother everything that he desired. And so, Achsa resolved that she was going to have to take care of this problem herself. 
Caleb was just getting home after another long day of work. He was now the most respected of all the elders in the tribe of Judah, which was a great honor, but also had the effect of creating an endless train of people coming to him and asking him to settle their disputes, support their claims, and invest in their harebrained schemes. It was all too exhausting, and Caleb was getting too old to deal with such aggravation. So he was looking forward to throwing off his cloak and sandals and sitting back with a cup of wine. But before he could even enter his door, he heard the approaching hooves of a donkey and looked up to see his daughter riding it. Even as she approached and was dismounting her beast, he cried out to her, Ah, my dear Achsa, how nice of you to visit your old father. Or is it that you want something from me? Achsa jumped directly to the business that had brought her there. Father, you have given to Othniel and me a lovely city filled with people of good will, but they cannot prosper where they are because you have not supplied us with the one thing we need. That city will never be what Yahweh wants it to be until it has access to a reliable supply of water. But the good news is that there are seven springs of water not far away at Goloth Mayim. It's literally just down the road. The only problem, father, is that someone else controls the spring at Guloth. Somebody named Caleb. I thought that name sounded familiar. Imagine my surprise when I learned that it was the very same Caleb who happens to be my father. So, here's what I'm thinking. You gave me as a prize to my husband for his conquest of the city of Kiriath Sefer. Hmm, but I wonder, what have you given to me to make up for the fact that you turned me into a prize of war? But if you give me the springs at Goloth, both the upper and the lower springs, mind you, if you give me those, I'm going to call us even. What could a father do? Of course, Caleb gave her the springs. The great patriarch, Caleb, loved and respected by all the people of Judah, weighed down with age 
and so many cares for his people, passed away quietly and in peace a few years after that. He was taken and buried among his fathers in the hill country of Judah. Achsa and Othniel settled down to a quiet life in their city and worked to build the prosperity of all their people. Both those of the tribe of Judah and those of the people of the land. But peace and prosperity will always be elusive. There came a time when the Arameans came down and into the land. They took advantage of the fact that the people of Judah were not united in those days, and they laid waste to many Judean towns. And so a great cry went up from the Judean people and the people of the neighboring tribes as they asked Yahweh for someone, anyone, who would unite them and lead them against their enemies. And many respected men came to Kiriath Sefer. They implored Othniel to take up the leadership that his elder brother had once exercised and gather the people together. And Othniel spoke with Achsa about this matter. Neither of them wanted to abandon the peaceful life they had been building for themselves and their family and their people. But neither could they deny the very real need of the Judahites who were being hard-pressed by the Arameans. And so they agreed. Othniel sent out messengers to all the leaders of all the clans of Judah and to the leaders of their old allies, the Simeonites. He ordered them all to gather in a week. Now, there were few who could rival Othniel in his ability to lead warriors into battle. But when it came to being persuasive and getting proud men to agree on anything, he knew that this was not one of his skills. But fortunately, he did know someone who could be extremely persuasive. So persuasive that she had once talked a man into giving her two whole sets of springs of water. So, when the leaders all gathered, Othniel asked his wife to go out and speak to them. Men of Judah and of Simeon, Achsa cried, when we were united in the days of my father Caleb, there was no one who could stand against us. We made a covenant in those days to support each other, and we swore it in the name of Yahweh, the guarantor of covenants. I call you to that covenant again today. When we remain apart and do not defend our neighboring clans and tribes, the Arameans will just pick us off one by one. 
So let us remember the covenant and stand together. Then the Arameans cannot defeat us. No one can. So send us your warriors and my husband Othniel, the brother of Caleb, will lead them to victory. Before long, she had them chanting his name together. Othniel! 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 Though, I'd like to think that some of them got what was really going on, and they were shouting, Achsaniel! And so it was that Achsa and Othniel became the first great power couple among the tribes of Israel. So long as Achsa could speak to the people and Othniel could lead the fighters, no enemy could feel safe in the land. And Yahweh blessed the land for all the days of Othniel and Achsa. There is a story told in the book of Joshua, the story of a great conquest when the children of Israel enter into the promised land and wipe all of the nations away before them with a degree of violence and even ethnic cleansing that is actually quite disturbing. The problem with that story is not just that it is morally objectionable, though. It is also that it almost certainly didn't happen. That kind of massive conquest would have left major traces in the archaeological record, and yet we find nothing of the sort. This has led scholars to conclude that there actually was no great invasion under Joshua, and that the tribes of Israel probably mostly started out living in the hill country, and by making alliances with each other and working together, they slowly spread out and created something like a nation within the land of Canaan. But the thing is that that story is also present in the biblical account. After it tells the story of the great conquest, the Bible actually admits that huge tracts of Canaan were not actually under Israelite control. There are ongoing stories of war and expansion against a hostile and very much undefeated enemy. And the story of Achsa mostly seems to be a part of that narrative. And so I felt as if I needed to tell her story as if 
that other story, the one about the Bing conquest, had never occurred. There is no way to prove, of course, that Achsa and Othniel ever existed, but I like to think that they did, that they were, at the very least, local heroes among the ancient tribe of Judah, and that there was a good reason why people remembered them and told stories about them. They certainly are compelling figures. That is it for this episode of Retelling the Bible. Please do subscribe so you can get the next episode in a couple of weeks. If you like this episode, please do share it and the podcast with a friend. The theme music for the podcast is Ada. The mood music for this episode is Universal. And there's also a bit of a snippet of Night on the Docks in there too. The music is by Kevin McLeod, is licensed under the Creative Commons, and can be found at incompetech.com. You can contact me on Twitter at Retelling Bible, on the Facebook page, Retelling the Bible. Show notes for this episode have been posted at retellingthebible.wordpress.com. This is Retelling the Bible. And I have been your storyteller, W. Scott McCandless.